Welcome to Can I Butt In, the Bowel Research UK podcast, where we welcome bowel cancer and bowel disease patients, researchers, healthcare professionals and carers to butt in and share their experiences. We're picking a topic every episode and getting to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Sam Alexandra-Rose. I'm the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at Bowel Research UK. And as a patient myself, I'm excited to bring more patient and researcher voices into the spotlight. Hello everyone. Today we're talking about illness and disability in the workplace. So what reasonable adjustments do people need? What are companies doing well? And where are they going wrong? So I am imagining this is going to be a bit of a putting the world to rights kind of session. And here to do that with me today, we have Matt Black, who is a speaker and like myself has had bowel cancer. And we're also joined by Stephen Jones of Disability Connect. So greetings and welcome to both of you. So first, I'd like to ask you both to introduce yourselves just to give everybody a little bit of context. Um, So shall we start with you, Matt, if you'd like to kick off? Sure. My name is Matt Black. I'm 58. I live in London. I'm a father of two and a husband of one, so Holly, Leo and Steph. Uh, I suffered bowel cancer in March, sorry, May 2020. And no, please say I'm per- perfectly fine from it. I'm making it my mission to talk about my experience and symptoms and signs ever since. Thank you yeah, thanks for that. Steve? Yeah, hi everyone. Really good to be here. So my name is Stephen Jones and I run a not-for-profit organisation called the Disability Connect Mentoring Scheme and we offer reverse mentors, disability insight services and speaker events. I work in the civil service as well and I'm a wheelchair user so I've got spinal muscular atrophy type 3 um, and sort of I'm really familiar with the day-to-day challenges of disability and disability in the workplace. Great, thanks both. And yeah, I can see that there's there's going to be some kind of overlap between what people with bowel cancer or bowel conditions are are going to to need. It's obviously going to be quite different from what people with other disabilities need, but I think that there's there's going to be some overlap of of issues like like communication and how things are handled and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I wanted to start by asking Steve, what are you kind of seeing from from companies at, at the moment? And is there are there any kind of common trends of, of of things that you you often see that aren't going quite as as they should, or even things that are, that are, people are doing well? Mm-hmm. No, really, really good question. And I'd say at the moment. It's very mixed. It's very varied. Um, COVID and lockdowns have had quite a big impact on workplaces, how and where we work. Um, and I think one of the top stories, the top themes at the moment is that hybrid and flexible working. Um, so in in COVID, work from home and working flexibly really became the new normal. And this opened a lot of doors up for disabled people. And lots of people, well, there's one person in my network in particular who was told by her employer it would be absolutely impossible for them to do their job working from home. And then COVID came, lockdown hit, and actually they were able to do it even more productive and better than they were doing going into the office, really. And that really helped them to manage their own disability and their own um, fatigue levels as well. Um, so I think it's opened the door for lots of different opportunities across the country, and especially for disabled people who 
may find it harder getting into the office that may take more time um, may need more flexibility as well so it's really changed that culture of actually work from home and, and being flexible and what I would say is flexible working isn't just working from home as well it could be taking a longer lunch break um, if someone needs to go and do physio or they've got a doctor's or hospital appointment as well um, and I think that's one of the challenges I'm finding that lots of disabled people are still facing as well so they're getting that flexibility in terms of homeworking but flexible working is actually something completely different and I think it's really inconsistent from company to company in terms of how they operate that policy and what that sort of means um, for them but what I would say as well is homeworking isn't really for everyone as well so um, one of the other challenges are when you're, everyone's in the office and someone might be struggling with a piece of work they might be struggling with their job in general and they may be feeling very stressed they may have other impacts on them that's quite hidden in terms of homeworking as well so sometimes it can be even harder to spot actually when someone needs help and support and even when someone that may not have actually declared that they need any reasonable adjustments is sort of visibly struggling with something as well so I think there's really that pros and cons in terms of that hybrid working and homeworking approach and companies should really consider their arrangements be as flexible as possible and really consult their teams and their people so I think one of the big themes is is that whole hybrid and flexible working um, and I think other themes are I suppose general awareness so I think there's so many disabilities out there and there's so much variation within sort of certain disabilities as well and I think you know it, not every employer is expected to know everything about every single disability out there, but it's really just improving that awareness and sort of starting that conversation as well. Yeah, and asking the individual, I guess, because even somebody, two people who have the same disability might have different needs. So it's opening mm -hmm. the, those doors of communication and, and also having a flexible mindset of, of what you can provide people. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's such a key one because lots of people have a view on what disability is, um, and that might be from their own personal experiences. It might be from the media. Maybe they have a family member with a certain disability, but it can be so varied. And even with in my condition, spinal muscular atrophy, the spectrum is so vast in terms of what people can do and can't do as well. Really, so it's really just actually having those conversations, asking those open open questions and really being led by the person in terms of what they need and, and what works for them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Matt, what would you have wanted from an employer when when you had bowel cancer? Obviously, it was during COVID, so it could, might be a bit a bit different to somebody because I, I guess that you weren't going into to work then. No, no, I wasn't. Uh, it, it was completely different because it was COVID. So during my, my illness was quite rapid. I went from completely normal feeling, well, I thought feeling healthy, feeling fine on the 13th of March when lockdown came in to being under the knife on the 27th of June, May, actually, I think it was. So it's a really quick period of not feeling well, suddenly being identified. When it was finally identified and the problem was, was, was seen, I was operated within 24 hours. Major operation, two thirds of my colon gone two weeks in ITU and hospital, came out of hospital, but I hadn't been in the office environment. 
So it wasn't quite the same shock. And in terms of when I went back, or so when, when work restarted, bear in mind I'd lost 23 kilos. So my physical appearance was completely different. Uh, people were only seeing me on Zoom. They weren't seeing me in the environment. And what, there's a mixture. So what, what, I, what I found was actually 95% of people incredibly supportive. But that was because I made my I made it a mission. I mean, absolutely what Steve said is communication is key. I started talking about it very quickly. Yeah. After about four or five weeks, I put a long post on LinkedIn to explain to clients and friends and colleagues where I'd been, because I just disappeared without trace. And, and there's a really empathetic, supportive reaction that I got back from both the business I was with and the wider industry. So it, it wasn't quite that same shot being in the office, but as I got back to work in the September, there's no question, it took me time to adjust. I was really tired really quickly. I couldn't do a full day's work straight away. You know, there had to be the, the, this sort of adjustment. And on the whole, people were very, very good because they realized, don't push, I came back, don't push him, just leave him to be and very, very empathetic. There were one or two scenarios where people weren't as, helpful but I think that's more human nature and what if people don't know how to react and managers aren't necessarily taught how to react and how to deal with people that have gone through an uncomfortable experience you know, if you think sadly in our lives when we lose people how 95% of people will 95% people will engage say sorry other people just don't know what to say they sort of look at the floor and maybe mutter something uh, so, so in the same way my message to anybody listening is if you know someone going through this scenario if you have a colleague if you have an employee or employer going through it dress it head it up you know say how are you or even just send a text send a message yeah a one-line text makes all the difference to the recipient it takes a minute at a time and i know it's embarrassed sometimes just how are you doesn't hurt and that was the key i i, I did have a few I had a scenario where I just got back to, I've been back at work up about a month and my line manager said, I think we, we need to do your half year appraisal. You're away in the summer when you missed it. Well, okay, that's quite an interesting approach to take, not necessarily the approach I might have taken. And it was very formal on Zoom. The first question of the day was, have you met all your, your objectives for the year? And I just looked blank at the screen and said, yes. Well, this guy was meaning financially. He said, how? I said, I've stayed alive which completely threw, and I just hit it, you know, I, I faced it straight on. It should, it should never have been a position I was in, but I think I'd say to everyone listening, if you are, don't be shy about talking about what's happened and don't be embarrassed about it. So it's a long-winded answer to say 95% of people are brilliant. Some people just in the working environment don't know what to say or what to do. And my biggest physical challenge, once I got back into that environment, I hate to say it being a bowel cancer, Survive, I hate using the word survivor, but having had bowel cancer, my need for toilets is a lot more regular than it ever was, uh, and certainly after I've eaten, and ensuring that uh, people are not embarrassed I have to get out of a meeting quickly. You know, that, that was one of the key physical challenges, as dark as it sounds. But you're just stressed and say, sorry, this is my problem, this is my challenge, see you in a few minutes. Yeah. So a rambling answer. No, that, that's great. So yeah, it really sort of shows that there are 
I mean, two very different reasonable adjustments there that can be made for you. One being the physical of, you know, needing to go to the toilet when, you know, when you need to go. But then also a reasonable adjustment of not being asked if you've met your objectives when you, you've been off, off for, for so long and having an, an appraisal and just yeah, a little bit more thought into yeah, your 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 work objectives and the, how those are handled as, as well also comes under a reasonable adjustment, right? I think it does. I think the problem is you know, the person who asked that had never been trained to deal with someone in that scenario and probably didn't have the social skills themselves to think about how to deal with that scenario. So it was just doing what they're programmed to do. I'm pretty sure had you know, had an HR person sat there, they'd been absolutely horrified, uh, as you know, as most people would have been. But I, I, I only raise it is I think it's just so people think, think about who you're talking to, what the conversation is, and the reason behind it. And if it happens, you don't be shy of just giving a fairly blunt response. Yeah, and I love I love your response. I I love that you said that you met your objective of of, of staying alive. That is yeah, to to the point and really. And also defuse the situation. I hasten to add. Yeah, yeah saying that, if I really went, it was, he realised that I heard an expletive. It was like, actually, this is the wrong way we've addressed this, isn't it? I said, yeah. And and yeah, just uh, thinking about kind of the communication issues as well. I mean, I always kind of rally against certain language that's used around cancer. So like the the battle language, he's fighting. They've lost the battle, all of that sort of stuff. But I I think that can also cause a, a problem because as, as you say people sometimes don't know what to say and then sometimes they don't end up saying anything which I messaged one of my friends to tell them that I was having surgery and they just didn't reply to me and then they I sent them another message I think a, a few weeks later and they replied to that and said oh sorry I didn't know what to say and it just got you know a certain amount of time passed and it, it got really awkward and I'm thinking fair enough I don't like you know some of the language that people use but I would still rather hear think positive or fight the good fight or I don't know whatever random stuff people might say I would rather hear that than to be have the the situation completely ignored both from friends and in the workplace I, I would agree I mean I think in the instance of your friend what what uh, I think it's great they have the honesty to say second time I didn't know what to say because yeah. That is 90%. A lot of people don't know what to say. And it takes a lot to admit it. In my situation, I had a couple of people I thought were very, very close friends, and I, just, I never heard at all. And time went on, and I never heard and never heard. I thought, actually, if you're not here for me then, it's, 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 no, don't, don't, it's the world moves on. Very few people are that. But it, it, again, I don't find this it's very hard. And people just don't know what to say. But please, anyone, say something. How are you? Hope it goes okay. One line, two lines, doesn't matter. Yeah. So, Steve, is this the kind of thing that you um, address in your reverse mentoring, the communication and all of these different types of reasonable adjustments? Yeah, it's it's really interesting what you say there about terminology. And I think some people, as you rightly say, may have never had a really frank and open conversation about disability or illness with someone and are really afraid of opening that conversation in case they're saying the wrong thing and I mean in the disabled community some somewhere some people may say oh they're wheelchair bound for example which some people may feel completely acceptable but actually that person in the wheelchair may actually go actually no I'm not bound by my wheelchair or 
referring to people as without a disability or without an illness as sort of normal. Um, some people, lots of people trip up on that as well. But I would say people that are going through a certain illness, as sort of Matt described there, or people with disabilities, will be sort of familiar with having those conversations um, and sort of having that open discussion with people as well. And I think as well, it's really up for that other person just to sort of try and end that awkward in that sense. And, and even just saying, do you know what, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I say the wrong thing, but I wanted to talk to you about this um, as I'm concerned or I'm interested, or I want to improve my knowledge and understanding really. Um, and that's exactly what the reverse mentoring scheme does. It sort of matches um, executives, individuals from organisations with a disabled mentor to have those open and frank conversations with disabled people um, and to really upskill them in, in that sense as well. But language can be quite a difficult one to really navigate. But I think from a disabled person's point of view, they've probably had that conversation, you know, 10, 20, 30 times. So they're really, they're really uh, used to having that and, and explaining that in, that in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that managers really do have kind of a, a a duty and it'd be really beneficial for them to to have that kind of training to and to to understand how to communicate with people um I think it's also quite beneficial if we with the illness or, or disability can also lead if if we we can and show people how they can take the lead from us so I'm just thinking about when I was diagnosed so I had I had bowel cancer in in 2010 but then I also had uh, duodenal and uterine cancer at the same time in 2018 and my employer at, at the time like knew all about kind of my my history and I, I thought well I've been sort of diagnosed with this again I'm going to have two operations I'm going to be off work I ended up being off work for 5 months I don't want it to be a thing of like only a couple of people know or then I, I'm left with, I don't know who knows and who doesn't know and how much do do they know. So what I did was I, I sent out a very silly email to um, everybody at work. Subject line, um, I'm not adopting a baby goat. And in the email, I sort of said, I'm, I'm going to be off for a while. I don't sort of know for how long or, or when exactly it's all being figured out. But it's not because I'm doing anything fun like adopting a baby goat that I need to take care of or going on tour with Drake or anything like that. Um, it's because I have cancer again. How boring. I know. Very annoying. Um, and yeah, really kind of downplayed the whole thing and put my kind of weird sense of, of humour on it and kind of allowed people to like people message me back you know even people that I wouldn't necessarily expect to message me me back or have um like such a positive you know people that I didn't really speak to saying things like oh I'm here if you need to talk and and, and that sort of stuff um so I think that is an example of I, I just think that it helped that I, I took the lead there and showed people how I wanted to communicate about it it's really interesting you did that and I, I did something very similar so I did this LinkedIn article and I worked in a there's American-owned corporate, probably 1,000, 1,200 people in London, two or three buildings. And when I got back, so, so this, this LinkedIn thing I, I wrote sort of had legs that suddenly, within about two days, it, it had 20,000 hits. which was And people were commenting great, but also I was getting in-messages from a lot of people saying, I've had a similar experience, thanks for talking about it. So I expanded this to two or three-page paper. And when I got back to work, I went to HR and marketing and said, look, this is my story. This is my experience. This is what I've written. 
what can we do with it? And that became quite an internal, they used it internally. And I said, I'm very happy to put my name to it, put my photo, no embarrassment. And it went far and wide. What that meant was all sorts of people were then getting in touch saying, sorry to hear what happened. People you wouldn't expect and people you didn't really come across. And that was so rewarding and so engaging. But I, th I think key with what you were saying, yeah, I used a bit of humour in it, a bit of self-depreciating humour, because I think that's a really important tool. And I didn't want to be defined as Matt who had bowel cancer. I wanted to be defined as Matt who talks about bowel cancer because no one else does. But I didn't want to be a victim, if that makes sense. And I think, as you said, humour and communication, those are just the really important factors. And we as people who have disabilities, uh, cancers, whatever, the more we talk about it, the more we're helping other fellow travellers for one. I hate the word battle, I hate the word fight, I hate the word survivor, I hate a lot of words that are involved. But, but you know, it's a journey we're all going on. And I think the more we all engage, it's like we're talking now, it helps others in the same process. And yeah, I completely agree with that really. And I think it probably goes back to when we were talking about being person-led as well. So for both of you, I think you were very proactive in sort of saying, you know, this is the condition I've got. Um, explaining to others, raising awareness. And I think that's really great. Um, but I guess for other people, they might not want to tell anyone. They might feel like, actually, do you know what? I don't want to, you know, almost be labelled or have this on me or all of that, really. And I think some of that really comes from potentially who they are as a person, plus also their employer. What is the culture like there? What, you know, what might happen, let's say. I think there's quite often that fear as well in terms of declaration rates and declaring and and coming forward really and I think that really puts it onto that organisation about how to really make that inclusive culture and make it feel like people can be themselves and share openly and, and raise that awareness and I, I think that is that is really key in that sense as well um, and, and also I think it really relates to what inclusion is and I really like your point there about that about not wanting to be defined by your illness um, and in theory inclusion is only really mentioning a disability or illness when it's applicable or when you need to in that situation um, and I've been in sort of instances where someone's almost said to me oh well, you must find that hard because you use a wheelchair and it was like nothing to do with the situation really and I was thinking well, you didn't really need to mention it in that context really so it's really about actually yeah being person-led about how often they want to mention it how much they want to really share and really accepting if someone doesn't want to share as much as others as well and also not mention it when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And maybe also not mentioning it to people when you haven't had permission from that that person or you don't mm. know if they, they want the information to be spread far and wide. So 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 yeah, it's it's both sides of the communication coin, isn't it? Like what what you do talk about and how you talk about it, and also maybe um when you don't talk about it and who you don't talk to about it. I think that's right. Yeah, we all we all have a right to privacy in in whatever environment, and, and it is our choice whether it is talked about or not. And we need to be able to control that. I would totally concur with that. With what you're saying. And really interestingly, we we spoke a bit about lockdown and pandemic and everything. And so I've always had a visible disability. I use a wheelchair. You know, you can't. You know, you can't um, always not not see the fact that you know I'm, I I use a wheelchair that in that space and in lockdown I started a new job and it was completely working at home and that was all, almost it turned from 
turn from visible to really invisible. So actually on those Teams calls and Zoom calls, no one knew I was in a wheelchair and I was thinking, should I, should I mention it? But then I was thinking, well, I don't actually need to. Like, why would it come up in conversation? Because it naturally just wouldn't. And then it sort of went maybe like six, nine months onwards. And then I think lockdown started to be lifted and um, venues were open. And everyone was like, look, we never met each other. Why don't we go and do a team building event? And why don't we go into like Go Ape or something like that? And then I was thinking, well, I can't go to Go Ape and climb around all the trees and everything. But then no one knows. So then it was almost that declaration of being like, do I then say, would that make it awkward? And really navigating around that, really. So I suppose it goes back to that point about, yeah, having that space and managers having that open conversation where people feel like they can declare and come forward and having those one-to-one conversations when it's not all just about work. It can be about how work is related to your home life and all of that stuff, really. So, so uh, sorry, I'm intrigued. So how did you... How did you inform them? Or was it when you, tur- you turned up to work? And what was the reaction? Yeah, in, yeah, that really interesting question, that. I mean, I didn't sort of formally say, oh, by the way, I use a wheelchair sort of thing, because I thought that would almost go against the you know, inclusivity agenda, really, when everyone sort of works together and everyone has their differences and challenges. Um, yeah, and, and all fits together as a team, really. So in the end, we just met up in the office and to be honest, there was no reaction. And that actually was a really good point, I think, because it actually meant that the people I was working with were really inclusive. They accepted lots of differences. They didn't make a big deal out of it. They didn't even mention it sort of thing. And I think that was quite a good way for me to actually think, actually, the culture here is pretty good and it's pretty inclusive sort of thing. Um, But I have worked in other places where maybe I've met someone on a video call or on Teams or something like that, and they've said, oh, are you in a wheelchair? Like, I've even been asked before, what happened? And, and that was quite heart-hitting, so I've got a birth condition, and being asked what happened is almost like, I don't know, have I had an accident? Is there something wrong with me, really? And that goes back to that point about how impactful words can, can be sometimes as well. Yeah, and, and all of this kind of adds up to the company culture, doesn't it? Mm. Um, so what how people react in these situations and and how people talk about it I I just I just wonder if there's a a way to kind of see if there's like these these red flags at a company before you start working there that would be quite helpful probably the the challenge is every the majority I would say at least companies have absolute best intentions of having the right the right culture and people are human beings and human beings are on the whole good people want to engage, want to help, want to do the right thing, and would hope to have a, a very inclusive culture. To me, it comes down to clumsy individuals or clumsy individuals who aren't trained or aren't advised or have never had to deal with anything that might be slightly different. Uh, and therefore, it, it's about companies managing their people or training their people or making their people aware that there needs to be this element of this change. But I think it'd be very hard, yeah. I would hope the majority of companies you look at and talk to today would naturally want to or would have that culture ingrained in them. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point because the majority of people leave roles not because of the organisation, but more because of their manager. Mm. So their manager isn't supportive or potentially there's challenges when it comes to diversity and inclusion, for example. And 
it is really interesting when when you said there, Sam, about red flags in a company, because I recently did a piece of work with a company where we sort of um, analysed their inclusion strategy, their culture, got lots of feedback from their employees. And interestingly, the company policies were almost quite um, a lot less generous than actually how it worked on a day-to-day basis. So their sickness policy, for example, didn't really allow for many days off. It was quite sharp in terms of what it required from people. But actually, when talking to people that had worked there for a couple of weeks to up to five, six years, actually found out that the managers are really supportive and let let their staff have time off and and all of that and are really flexible, really. So I suppose it's about how those policies actually translate in that organisation on the ground and in the culture. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, I can to, when I look at how individuals react, one, one of my sort of mentors and old, old bosses, I call him Alan, who's now in his early 70s, I suspect has never done an HR training course in his life. I never read an HR training course book. But the warmth and support of the messages he sent me as soon as he knew I was in hospital, not just to me, but to my wife. And it was, what can, what can I make sure the company does? What can we do? How can we do this? Let me know if you need anything. And these were constant. It wasn't just one-offs. So again, it, it comes back to people's inbuilt culture and personality as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, yeah, that's, that's always, uh, uh, it's really, so people don't move because of job necessarily, it's people and managers. And that's always a challenge. And I think what I would, all I would, well, one of my observations or comments to people listening who are involved in the business world, just keep an eye, look out at your managers where you know you've got someone going through that situation, any of the situations we've described just now. You're not directly managing, you know, someone else. Keep an eye open. Mm. Just check what they're doing or saying. No, not just doing the right thing. Because it comes from the top. And it's unfair a company might get bashed or labelled because of certain individuals when it's not their intention at all. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice. And, and yeah, as what, what you were saying before, we're, we're all humans first, aren't we? And, and, and workers second. And, you know, none of us are put on this planet to to, to work or to, to, to go by the, you know, the, the stringent rules of, of whatever our, our workplace may be. So, yeah, leading with with compassion and and yeah what what feels natural rather than perhaps going back to your appraisal um and how how that was handled if that was to be led with with compassion and and and, and human thinking first rather than kind of un- understandably perhaps um gravitating to uh this oh this uh needs to be done for for our our work this is the like the schedule or the plan that we we have to follow Give me hours of entertainment telling the story since <laughs> that's always something good to come out yeah. of it. Um, I will say one good thing about my um, well, actually, there's lots of good things to say about my my previous employer because they they did um, they 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 did always lead with compassion and they they handled my my last cancer diagnosis extremely well. And I was off from September to February, and then did kind of part time hours, sort of coming back in after surgery so yeah I was off work for five months in in total and they did pay me in full for the those five months which I I don't know what their policy was or if they you know felt they had to do it or or whatever but just to have that to be you know financed to to not be one extra thing to have to worry about on top of everything else that a cancer diagnosis brings was was excellent 
yeah, again, I, I, I was very fortunate with that as well. Uh, and uh, it's a really important stress to be relieved of because there are so many, you know, you've got so many things going on that to have financial stress, it you know, really, really is a challenge. Uh, I think it would be a horrific challenge to people. And again, you know, the majority of businesses, while they quite rightly have to have a policy and have to have rules and regulations set out, I would hope you know, do tend to be relatively flexible in this scenario. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess we're kind of coming to the end. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add? Are there any other takeaways that you would like organisations or employees to come away with um, after listening to us today? No, look, I think I would just say, you know, it's a two-way thing. It's about employees and employers to address the matter. You know, I think as importantly, what I take the embarrassment out of it, be proactive from both sides, address the issue, talk about it. Some people don't want to talk about it, and that might be managers, it might be people who've gone through something. If, if it's clear someone's want to talk about it, raise the subject. Don't embarrass anyone, but raise the subject. And we come back to so simply as we said, are you, you know, a text, are you okay? Or a work conversation, are you okay? Don't let someone be defined by what they've had, but acknowledge they may have gone through something that's quite difficult. I think is my, my sort of message to, to all parties here. Yeah, re- really support what Matt said there and completely agree, really. I, I, I think as well, a real big one is, I suppose don't assume anything as well. So I think... With employers, sometimes even in even when recruiting disabled people, employers might think, "Oh, well, they won't be as productive. They may not work as hard. They will need time off all of the time, really." And lot lots of employers have come real, really long way in terms of really providing a real inclusive recruitment practice. But I think it's almost been aware of what those unconscious biases may be in people as well, and really not making any assumptions, just opening that conversation. And trying to have a real open and honest conversation with um, that person about their disability, what reasonable adjustments they need to sort of help them to perform the same level as everyone else, really. So I think reasonable adjustments are such a key thing um, and make such a big difference um, to lots of um, disabled individuals as well. So I would say really be person-led, really um, recognise that everyone is different and open that conversation. Brilliant. Thanks both. Um, Steve, if somebody, uh, if a company wants to use your reverse mentoring services, uh, how might they go about getting in touch with you? Yeah, of course. So we've got a website. Um, so it's disabilityconnect.org.uk or you can email us at info at disabilityconnect.org.uk and we're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Great. Thank you so much for talking to me about this today. It's been a really interesting discussion. So thanks a lot. Thank you for inviting me. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Can I Button? This podcast was brought to you by Bow Research UK. Find out more about the charity, our work and how you can get involved. Visit bowelresearchuk.org where you can join our People and Research Together network or part read about our research campaigns and fundraising, or make a donation to support the vital work we do. Let's end bowel cancer and bowel disease.